0: It's uh, Philip here, and by the music, you know it's your favorite tennis podcast, The Doubles Alley. We're back. We haven't uh, recorded in a while, but that doesn't mean things haven't been happening. Um, and one thing that uh, I became aware of this week is that uh, Stastinos Tsitsipas and Daniil Medvedev don't like each other very much. And apparently the genesis of this, I guess, um I won't say feud, but just dislike between the two, is um, a point when Sitsipas won on a chord winner and didn't hold his hand up to apologize for it. So, Peter, uh, using that as uh, the benchmark, do you have any petty grievances of your own um, that you just can't believe how petty they are, but they are grievances? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so um, what that what that says to me, really, is that is that um, those two just need to gather around a pole on December 30th, uh, 23rd and celebrate Festivus together. Because, <laughs> so more on that story is that apparently, so Sitsipas didn't know why Medvedev was angry at him, but it rattled him a little bit and it got him out of his rhythm. And so when uh once it's next one Medvedev broke it's the past since the past like screamed at him calling him a Russian little shit or something <laughs> like that and and uh, and then that's how it like really escalated but um, uh, and apparently there was a point over the summer where they shared a private jet with Nick Kyrios and had a photo and all seemed swell in the world but it was only a, a short term reconciliation. But, um, and on my end, when you presented this question, I, I really had to struggle to think of something petty enough for me to like, um, for like, cause it seems like it has to be a one, like a, a, a specific event. It can't be a sort of like this person did something repeatedly kind of thing. And it has to be like actually petty and lead to just like legitimate, um, Uh, legitimate like beef to some extent and um i guess i'm gonna be quick because mine is of the nerdier variety and it's probably not that interesting um but i when i was in business school um which is a cesspool for petty grievances just jealousy of who's got what job offer all over the place um i was at a recruiting event for a um this company called next era energy and they were branding themselves as clean energy but they are like a huge builder of natural gas plants and i'm just so in the middle of the info session uh, and natural gas plants are cleaner than coal but they're they're still a fossil fuel that is very polluting and so then when i was at an info session for next era energy and they were doing they were saying this I raised my hand and I'm like, how can you be, are you you calling your, do you you actually include natural gas as clean energy? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, no, it's it's not clean energy. It's cleaner energy, but it's not clean. And, um, that, uh, recruiter did not like my, my rebuttal at all. And I just have sort of held a grudge against that company. And, um, as well as, sort of the clean energy people in my class who were at that info session who were then like sort of sucking up to next era after the event as well
0: well yeah i mean that is pretty petty um you were ticked off at them for i guess misrepresenting themselves and uh and also at your peers for uh letting them misrepresent themselves. Um but yeah, my mine my story is that uh I have a writer friend in France and I uh I let this guy read my manuscript um and he like gave comments and we we talked about it and it was nice. But then I was like he was he always kept saying, Yeah, I'll send you mine over in like three weeks And he just kept saying, so basically, uh, he, he was able to read my manuscript and he just would never send me his. And it just is like so imbalanced when you like share more about yourself than, than the other person does. It's, uh, it just feels like, uh, yeah, it's just like, uh, it just feels unfair. So I sort of hold a grievance about, uh, him because I was willing to share, uh, share my work with him but he wasn't willing to share his work with me
1: yeah so on the one hand um i see where you're coming from and i think in in like broader social dynamics it it has to be a level playing field of like who like who shares and how much people share or else like a relationship just rots but um in that context it's almost like a professional context where you got more value out of him than he did out of you.
0: Yeah, that's and why it's sort of petty because out it's being like, kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of petty on my part because he was helpful and he did read the thing, which most people don't do. Um, but uh, yeah it's that's why it's petty on my part it's like i mean and it's also petty on his part because he would get value out of sharing sharing his work with me he's just sort of uh i don't know too shy or something um yeah but yeah
1: and i i i I, I do see some of the edge on like on from you where it's like Why isn't he sharing? Does he not think I could add value for him?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, let's get back to tennis. Um, So that was just one petty grievance between Tsitsipas and Medvedev. And Tsitsipas uh, this week is the one um, sitting pretty because he got his first victory over Medvedev and he got his first Masters 1000, or I guess – Masters 1500 event victory um, this week. So it's been a really, really big, uh, big week for Stefano Sitsipas.
1: Yeah. Sorry, you you cut out a little bit there. Um, But yeah, no, it was a huge week. It is kind of um, sweet, though, that he still couldn't take Nadal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what are the odds that Nadal wins this tournament if uh if he had gotten to the sem- if like Sver- if Medvedev had beaten Sverev and Nadal was able to get to the semis?
1: Yeah. Uh I think he would have lost to Federer.
0: Yeah, so do I. But Nadal had two epic matches, the one against Medvedev. So I guess yeah, and the one against There were so many good matches this week. Um so let's let's break them all down. There was the one um uh team versus Djokovic was an epic um like third set tiebreak break match. And then there was uh Medvedev, Nadal, uh Nadal, a Pass, uh, and Pass Team were all just like epic matches. And then uh Djokovic versus Federer was another very good match, and same with uh Sutapas versus Federer.
1: Yeah, it was um, it was loaded. It was it was really fun to watch. Part of why I don't think Nadal um, would have won is because uh, just it seemed like there were some people, some players who were like half a level below him when when everyone's equally motivated, who were just more motivated than he was. Um, it seemed like. That from the onset of the tournament, he was only really here because he wanted to um, clinch number one. But at the same time, he uh, he really like he dodged Djokovic in Paris. It's like he 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 was fighting two battles where he wanted to preserve his body, but he didn't want to. Um, he didn't want to lose, but he didn't necessarily really want to win.
0: Yeah, and he—I think this is the only tournament where you can win your last match and not win it, win the tournament. So he won his last match of the season. That's a good. That's a confidence builder.
1: Yeah, it's so weird that he He got crushed by Zverev like that, though. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Not to not to like hijack this as a Rafael Nadal podcast, but um, no, like the the tennis quality was very high. It it um it was encouraging for like the future generation and all. Um, I think uh, even though Djokovic was one and two, um, both guys who beat him had to play so well to beat him. Um, yeah. it's clear that he's still considered the best, and um, the fact that is guys he, have to like. Djokovic? What you said
0: is Nadal considered the best, or is Djokovic? Who do you Djokovic, think the guys Djokovic. in the locker room fear more? Djokovic. Yeah.
1: I mean, who do you, who do you think?
0: Yeah, I think Djokovic. But yeah, you were saying like it's still clear that Nadal is considered the best.
1: Oh no, I, was, I think Djokovic. Um, yeah. It's it's clear that he's still considered the best because you have to sort of have like out of your mind a team playing his a-plus game and like Roger Federer playing his a-plus game to like take him down
0: yeah agreed I mean he had a really good end of year um, winning Paris and um, he came pretty close to taking that number one ranking but yeah how how important is the number one ranking do you think Um, is it just important to not be number three, like to be either one or two is it sort of like a legacy thing where it's like, okay. And it all has his fifth end of year, number one ranking. That'll like just be another notch on the belt for the all time, the greatest of all time conversation. Or what, what, what do you yeah. think it really means?
1: I, I think it is a notch on the belt for the goat race. Um, I was really happy that Nadal was able to secure it. Um, I wouldn't have been totally bummed if he couldn't have, but, uh, I mean, I look at the ultimate tennis, uh, goat, whatever.com, um, site and they give, they give eight points for a year end number one. Um, and so I'm just like, all right, nice. And it going to get those extra eight points. Um, and both him and Djokovic are closing in on on Federer um yeah I think in terms of like uh in terms of how it affects you at in tournaments um I think one or two like there is very little difference maybe I think it even depends on the tournament for like who has the better schedule like yeah you you want to play the first
0: day so you have more rest like throughout exactly
1: exactly and that's like tournament dependent I think yeah um and but yeah i mean i don't think it's really that important um i'm i uh
0: there was one important ranking shift uh this week which was team moving ahead of medvedev so that team is number four in the world and medvedev is five and this is important because there are not many events between now and the aussie open so like aussie open seating um he won't have to play one of the big three until the semis.
1: Yeah, that is big. Um, and that actually is tough for actually, no, that's actually, so Federer, I, I had no idea, but he's two and five against team.
0: Like, oh, Federer has a
1: really tough time against team.
0: He has and, a tough uh, team against team.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and he, he has a tough time. I, I think he's like, he lost his six of passes in Australia last year too. And he,
0: um, he has a losing record to Veret as well,
1: <laughs> and Djokovic. Yeah. Um. But he's had Nadal's number a little bit the last year, the last few years. Um. But I, I just think uh, it's probably good for Federer too that team got the fourth, the fourth rank. Um. I wonder how Federer Medvedev. It, how do you know what their head to head is?
0: No, I can check I it. Think
1: Medv- I think Medvedev has beaten them this year.
0: Um, I'll check it right quick. Uh, let's see. Federer. Um, Medvedev. Federer is 3-0 and against Medvedev.
1: Okay. Yeah, so this is really good for Federer, actually, because it means that in a quarterfinal of a big tournament, um, it, there's less of a chance he'll play team uh, or to pass the two guys in the fourth five through eight range who who have given them problems in the past. Um, so one of the one one of my realizations. So I guess we we're sort of like brushing over this tournament. It's been a lot of good matches. I'm wondering, a um, do you have any like just observations from this tournament and b um, do you think the best player won um, and uh, depending on how you answer that and uh, more broadly, do you think that this tournament is easier for the best player not to for the winner not to necessarily be the one who played the best than a traditional style tournament um
0: I mean, okay, I think, um, I guess general observations. Uh, One is that I think Sverev is starting to play better. Um, Another is that uh, Berrettini didn't uh, really demonstrate that he belonged um even though he did have that win against team it was after team had already qualified for the uh next round um medvedev just he's really good when he's when he's at the top of his game but he uh he can really unravel mentally um and that sort of showed in his performance against nadal Um, and then it sort of continued into the Sverev match where he was just never able to, like, I feel like he had a hangover from the Nadal match against Sverev. Um, and, yeah, as for the best player, who was the best player? I mean, Tsitsipas was probably, he was probably the best player this week. I mean, Nadal did beat him, but if this were a normal tournament, um, Nadal would have lost in the first match to Zverev because Nadal just didn't have it. Um, Nadal didn't have it in his first match. He wasn't ready at the, at the beginning. I mean, Nadal's top level uh, was probably higher than Zitsipas's. I mean, Nadal did beat Zitsipas. But, uh, I mean, when you talk about totality of all your performances, Zitsipas beat Federer. Federer in two sets, uh, won an Epic final against team, uh, and won all his matches against, except the one against Rafa. And he was in a tight three sets against Rafa too. So yeah, I think the best player did win. Um, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the best player did win. I think that in a normal tournament though, Rafa usually does start off slow, but he's able to because he plays shitty first round opponents. Um, I think that uh Sitsipas might have actually won against Rafa if they both had had equal incentive like since Sitsipas was already into the next round. Um, this tournament's just really good for him. Like I wonder how well he does next year. Like I wonder he's he's just got like so much um, energy on court. He has like so, competitive spirit.
0: He's really good at I think I've noticed three things about his game. First, he's one of the best volleyers I've seen on tour. Like He's probably as good at net as Nadal is, which is I mean, Nadal's the best top 10 player at net I've like ever seen. Um, and so that's a huge compliment. Uh, the second thing is that Tsitsipas, one thing he's really really good at is um, he's good at hitting um, positive shots off of awkward balls. Like Awkward balls that are, like, sort of tight, like, inside on your forehand and that kind of thing. He's good at getting depth on it. Like, uh, he's good at not um, panicking and, like, going for broke on a ball he shouldn't be going for broke on. And then uh, the third thing is uh, he's really good at... um, Dipping the ball into court on, like, angles. So there were just so many balls that it looked like would go out, but his, like, he had just the right amount of topspin on it. And that's sort of Nadalian as well.
1: Yeah, so a few more things. He's also an excellent mover. And sort of to your last point about just how he, sort of the angles at which he dips the ball in, um, he's he just hits a really heavy ball that is really hard to do stuff with. Like he just doesn't give the opponent much. And, and, um, I also think he's got, there's a little bit of, he's sort of a hybrid of Nadal of like Federer, um, Nadal and Murray. Cause with, for, um, for Nadal, he's, it's not just the like, Topspin and the and the heavy shots, It's also the competitive spirit for Federer. It's the one-handed backhand. It's kind of the style, um, like the way he flows. And for Murray, he's got a little bit of cat and mouse to him.
0: Yeah, I Murray was like he, one of the best movers ever. Especially, yeah, Murray was like six four yeah. and sits is six five. There, for for guys as big as those two, they're just like so fluid. The way they move, yeah. I,
1: I just, I, I he is really just the real deal. The way we were hoping that others might be the real deal, um, and he, he'll be a force to be reckoned with. I so on the on the flip side of things, his rival uh, Medvedev. It is. I do wonder if if um, Medvedev is able to sort of regain the mojo in to the extent that he had it um, and sort of build on this year. If I were to bet on um, whether they, uh, on those two guys, whether they will improve upon this year's ranking or or not next year, I'd, I'd bet that past will and Medvedev won't.
0: I think it's just, just Medvedev it's, had, it's hard to say. Had like, that
1: like Medvedev had that long like streak, but sort of um, pass was up and then down and then up and then down and then up. He's he's had those kind of like highs and lows, so you sort of know where his equilibrium is.
0: I think this is, I think that's an overreaction to one tournament. Um, Medvedev has like shown he's just a next level athlete. Um, I'm not sure how much like surface played into this, I guess since this was a fast court and since the past is a great clay court player as well. So like Medvedev might've been better suited for this tournament. Um, but I, I do think, uh, I think this was a one tournament blip for Medvedev. Like he won Shanghai. He won, He was U S open finalists. He, he was like, Pretty much unbeatable during the summer. Um he, he he lost
1: first round in Paris too though. I think he was just sort of coming back down to Earth.
0: Yeah. Um who knows? I mean I, who would you bet on having the better Australian Open? Uh since the past. Yeah, I think I think it's even. I I wouldn't bet on either. I would give the slight edge to Medvedev.
1: Yeah. Um and so but yeah in terms of your your other takeaways I just generally agree. Uh, Zverev he he just there were times he looked really good. He was just moving well, striking a really clean ball. Um but I guess and so uh yeah. So I guess unless you have more to say about this tournament um let's let's sort of Uh, progress to a uh, sort of a year-in-review kind of our initial thoughts.
0: Yeah, so what surprised you? Yeah, what what are some things that have surprised you this year?
1: Um, One is I just really did not expect Fabio Fognini to be top 15 again. really helped him that he won, what was it? Was it Barcelona? Monte Carlo or Monte Carlo, Re- really helped him that he won that one. Um, but I-, I was just very surprised that Fognini, and for that matter, Schwarzman, finished hey. the year 12 and 14.
0: Monfils um at 10, Bautista Agu at 9. Yeah, there were a oh, lot yeah. of surprises. I mean, I think the biggest Bautista surprise Agu- is Medvedev. Like, neither of us had him in our top 15. Pre- Medvedev is who we thought Kachanov was.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I think um, the the even bigger surprise is Berrettini, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, we didn't even know who he was.
0: So I was at the Australian Open and I was watching um, the Pass Berrettini first round match, where Sitsipas one and four. And in retrospect, that was a really tough first round match.
1: Oh yeah, it's like yeah. You, there are those matches where a top guy gets pushed, and you're just like all right this guy's good and then you it, it gets validated like eight months later very quickly
0: um, I mean that that same sentiment got validated again when uh, I was watching the djokovic Medvedev match and I was like holy crap Medvedev is like is uh, playing really well <laughs> like, uh, like yeah yeah like this, the, he's like legitimately pushing Djokovic like I don't know if anybody uh, in the world can push Djokovic this way and then like five months later Medvedev is doing what he's doing
1: yeah I, I remember a similar feeling um, there was a year where Nadal beat Nishikori in the third round of Australia and Nishikori was really pushing him and I'm just like, what is this bullshit, Nadal? Like, you should be crushing Nishikori. <laughs> and then Nishikori ends up in the U.S. Open Finals, like, eight months later. Yeah. Um, so it, it happens, right? The But yeah, it, it is crazy how, um, how much can change from end of the year to start of the next year, even though it's only a month, um, or only, like, two months really between
0: the Nitto and the Aussie. Yeah. Uh, and you can get some
1: early signs that some guys are going to have a better year than like, like uh, Batista Ogu just started out really well this, this year. And the, the momentum just continued to, he had to reschedule his bachelor party after making a Wimbledon semifinal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mark's right in question is, uh, who do you think the comeback player of the year is? Um, and I have my answer. And so the options he gave were, uh, Bautista, Gu, Songa, Stan, and Kyrios. Um, and my answer is neither of none of the above. Uh, do you have an answer? Uh, comeback
1: player of the year. um, I don't know why I would give it to curious. <laughs> Yeah, um, He might even be the answer for the opposite.
0: Yeah, the biggest disappointment. I mean, he's perennial biggest disappointment.
1: I think it's got to be Stan by default.
0: I mean, for me, it's Andy Murray. He won in Antwerp after having career-threatening hip surgery.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it could be Andy Murray. It's just like he still had like really up and down results, and uh, he's got a long way to go until he's his real self. I just, uh, yeah, I mean he's 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 worthy, but it's just. Um,
0: another one. Like is, I
1: think he's a, I think he's a prime candidate for next year's comeback player of the year.
0: Another one is Rublev.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, let's let's go with
0: Rublev. Yeah, I wonder if Del Potro comes back next year as well. That's another candidate. Um, But anyway, what are are some other um, superlatives we can give this year? Um,
1: So, in the grand scheme of things... Nadal it was Nadal's year because he gained two slams on Federer and one on Djokovic. No no, and he he held he held even with Djokovic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I guess how did this year affect the GOAT debate? I think the, um, the, the biggest match for for that was the Wimbledon final, of course, with Federer and Djokovic. Imagine if Federer had won yeah. Wimbledon.
1: Exactly. Uh, that was the biggest match. That was the one where it could have gone either way. And it just... Um, Federer got unlucky. Like, he had two match balls.
0: <laughs> I think uh, um, luck evened itself out, though, because Djokovic got extremely unlucky with the the weather in the semifinals of uh, Garros. Remember how it was just, like, re- absurdly windy? Like, so windy that... Uh, it's hard to believe they were hitting tennis balls. And if it hadn't been like that, yeah, he probably would have that. beaten team and Rafa might not have won the French Open.
1: Yeah. But I think I think um I think Rafa would have beaten them. The so but who knows. Yeah, that was a little bit unlucky. But it was unlucky for both players though, right? It was like team had team was playing in the same conditions as Djokovic was. Yeah. But, uh, the, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think Rafa was probably the big winner because uh, that U.S. Open was honestly just a gift.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and now, and now, now he's only one away from Federer. So, the the way I actually think this might play out is that Djokovic might actually end up with like 24 um, grand slams. The same way like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning was a debate forever, but because because Tom Brady was able to extend his career like five years beyond Peyton Manning, um, and he was able to rack up multiple Super Bowls and multiple Super Bowl appearances in the process, it's just not even... And because of recency bias... It's just not even a question anymore. I just the way Djokovic treats his body. Um, the only the only reason he he would not be able to play until he's like 36, I think, or even older, um, would be just motivation. Like he might just be sapped of motivation if Nadal and if Nadal and Federer retire.
0: Yeah. Yeah. um, You also just have no idea when a career-ending injury can strike. Like, I think there are. Nadal's 33. Djokovic is 32. Like, Kobe Bryant tore his Achilles in his mid-30s. Like, uh, there have been. I mean that's not the only story of something like that happening, but um, bad luck can strike any time, so it's just the more grand slams you have now, the better your odds of are, win- are of your odds are of having the most, you know. Yeah. Also this, young, this, like this young very pivotal. This crop of young players, they could um, like Sitsipas and Medvedev could eventually eclipse Djokovic in terms of, like, level of play. Um, because Djokovic, okay, he's still in his prime now, but uh, two years from now, when he's 34, almost 35, his level is not going to be this high. Yeah, that's true. Maybe not. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think that actually is this, this tournament – Showed that um, the young guns actually taking uh, taking the sport to a level beyond what the aging big three can do. Um, we actually see legitimate candidates for doing that in the in the um, like like right in front of us. Yeah, like Medvedev and Sampaio could could legitimately be beat them and we could get some sort of like old Sampras years where he's just like hanging around and kind of sad for two years. And then like, he, he has a, he has a, um, it's just like, like, just like a re resurgence of his youth. Yeah. Um, it's like, like old Duncan. Like, I think uh, there will be that phase of the Big Three's careers where they're not real contenders, like, every time, but they can have their weeks.
0: Yeah. Like how Tommy Haas, when he was 40, still won Hal. <laughs> yeah. Or he beat Federer in hell. I forget if he won it. Um, yeah. Um, sort of like how Tiger Woods is now, actually. Winning that Masters, but being crap in most tournaments. Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so we've talked about the big three. Um, We've talked about, I guess, surprises. Who are the biggest disappointments this season?
1: Biggest disappointments? um, I feel like, uh, or curious, is that like every year. Yeah. Shapovalov was like almost in the discussion, and then he had a pretty awesome last few weeks.
0: Yeah, Um, he ended up 15 in the world.
1: Yeah, that was your prediction. Was it? Um, Yeah, you predicted him at 15.
0: Oh, solid. Um,
1: Then uh, Dimitrov really saved himself. Oh. Speaking of Dimitrov, biggest disappointment was definitely Jack
0: Sock. <laughs> yeah, dude, Jack Sock doesn't have a single ranking point now, because he lost in the first yeah. round of both challenger events he played. He's like off. He's he's number three thousand four in the world or something. He has I'm so sad. Jack Sock Wait, what the and fuck, yeah. Jack Sock and you have the same number of ranking points. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's right, still goodness. a great doubles player. He was still in Labor Cup.
1: Yeah, what the fuck?
0: Like, he is literally starting how, from scratch I, this year.
1: I really don't get it. Like, um,
0: but yeah, Dimitrov yeah, really saved himself uh, with his U.S. Open result.
1: Another disappointment is uh, Tiafoe, like especially after that quarterfinal in the Aussie.
0: He took his Aussie Open result too seriously. I felt like yeah. he like got to the quarters of the Aussie, and now he's just like, "All right, I can chill. This is how it's gonna be every tournament." And he couldn't chill.
1: Yeah, it's like he felt like he made it. He counted his chickens.
0: Dude, a big disappointment for me was uh, Marin Cilic. He's thirty nine in the world.
1: Yeah, Cilic had a tough one. He's got to be unseated. He could be. There, there are going to be some just like landmines in the draw in the Aussie Open. Yeah, there's going to be. There's going to. I don't know if Cilic even really counts because he's a little washed. But there's going to be Murray. There's going to be Delpo. There's going to be Cilic. There's going to be. I don't know. I'm sure a few
0: others. Chorich is also one we were very high on at the beginning of the season. Like, we thought he was going to be top 10. He's 28 in the world. I mean, he had injuries, yeah. but still. Um, Luca Pui, he got, made the semifinals of Australia and ended up 22 in the world. Um, I mean,
1: Kyle, Kyle Edmund is just, I guess, I think, I think partly is just he just had a weirdly good year last year but he's like he's he i think he got a little exposed this year just for being slow.
0: Yeah, he's number 69 in the world. Marco Caccinato um, is another one who he was top 20 last year.
1: Yeah. But like no one ever did people really think he was legit top 20. <laughs>
0: um oh, another big think, uh big uh big surprise Eva Karlovich, 40 Almost forty-one years old, still top one hundred in the world. Wow,
1: he has has a game that ages well. (laughs) Yeah,
0: apparently he's playing a challenger event in Houston this week. He's in the finals. Um,
1: I didn't realize Air Bear was good at singles too. Sixty-five in the world.
0: Yeah, he has his tournaments, but uh,
1: Lopez Lopez isn't bad either another good old
0: old guy yeah he didn't he win queens yeah yeah so one tournament is propping him up um that happened to Nikola who for a few years when he would win sir togenbach um so another one who should be disappointed uh, but who i'm not disappointed by uh is uh, milos rejnic 31 in the world i'm not disappointed by him because i don't like watching him play so the lower he is, the less I have to watch him play. But like, we thought this was going to be a, a comeback year for him. Uh, he ended up doing worse this year than he did last year. He's now the number three ranked Canadian.
1: Yeah, that's uh, and he had a really good, he had a really good Aussie Open. So there were three guys who had great Aussie Opens and just torpedoed after that. Um, with him. Uh, Tiafo and Pui. Um, Another one who is, who uh, his, his year is a little more excusable because it was injury ridden, but it was still really shitty for him was uh, Kevin Anderson.
0: Yeah, and Hyun Chung. Yeah, uh, there are going to be a lot of
1: landmines in the Sazi Open. Like, imagine getting a draw where you have, like, murray first round delpo second round um or or um kevin anderson like first round
0: another one Who,
1: who's the person you at least want to have in the first round if you uh, were
0: a seed probably andy murray um or chelich maybe because i don't think he's totally washed yet um Another one I just don't want to see in Australia is Riley Opelka, number 36 in the world. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. If his serve is on, there's nothing you can do. It's like him and Isner have, like, a pretty funny head-to-head. I think like something like their last 12 sets have been tie breaks.
1: Yeah, Opelka is just Isner Jr.
0: Yeah, but with more potential. He has, like... Smoother strokes. At least his backhand looks looks like it has a higher ceiling. Um, yeah. So he's like the one bright spot in American young tennis, but his game sucks to watch because it's like so serve serve based that it almost doesn't count as a bright spot. Um,
1: Classic American.
0: I guess Taylor Fritz is 32 in the world. He had a decent season. Um,
1: He's ranked higher. Yeah, he's ranked higher than
0: Opelka, and they're like pretty much the same age. Yeah, Fritz is two months younger. Um. Yeah. And so, let's see who else. Who else had a noteworthy season? I guess uh, Yannick Sinner winning. Um, winning the Next Gen tournament. He's now a number. He's eighteen month. He's eighteen years and two months old and he's 78 in the world, uh, he he could be top 30 or top 20 next year. Um, I mean, he's a really good player. Um,
1: yeah, there's also, um, what's his name? Uh, Felix. Yeah. Felix is a real wild card for next year. Like, does his star continue to rise? He's had some really, he's had some pretty high highs this year.
0: Does he sit there like at number seven in the rankings next year, ne- next to Sitsipas? Or is he just going to do the Shapovalov and, or like the Chorich and tread between 11 and 30 in the world?
1: Yeah. It is some sort of yellow flag, not a red flag, but a yellow flag that he just does not have. Like, he. Like where was he at the end of the season? He he just doesn't have the 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 endurance for a full season.
0: Yeah. Um it was the age nineteen twenty season that where Stitsipass really broke through. So I mean Felix is still like way ahead of schedule by any normal metric. Um, and he has the game. But he
1: for a while, he was even on the Nadal curve. He is not. He is like um, decidedly no longer on the Nadal curve.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the Nadal curve like exists anymore, just with like, <laughs> strength and conditioning, the way it is. Um, I think Felix he just needs to improve his second serve. He has everything else. Um, but he double faults like 10 times per match. Like he would have made, he would have beaten Isner in Miami and made the finals of his first masters 1000. If he didn't double fault, like in the most critical moments. Um, and that wasn't just a one-time thing. That is actually something plaguing his game. I mean, if he, if he had three or four double faults a match instead of like 12 to 15, uh, he would be top fifteen in the rankings.
1: Yeah, I wonder what Nick Kyrgios was thinking while he was watching the semis in the final of this tournament.
0: You think he uh-huh. was thinking, "Oh, I could be out there." Yeah, I wonder if he's yeah, inspired.
1: I'm now, now that it's like the big, not not just the big three. It's it's guys like the Pass and Medvedev who are. Who were sort of there. Um,
0: yeah, I you wonder think if he's he was like motivated. eating cheeseburgers, or do you think he's like, okay, this is the year I'm tr- going to train?
1: I think it's a mix. I think like there are some days where he's just like, all right, like I'm going to focus now. And then like the very next day, he'll be like, fuck this.
0: Yeah, they- I've been burned by him too many times. I'll believe it when I see it. I do think he has a career in broadcasting, though, just because he's um, he's, he really does have like an actual brand behind him. And so I don't think he's ever going to be like screwed money wise or just like, yeah, I think he'll be. I think he'll be part of the tennis world for his whole life, but I think he will. He might
1: not want to be.
0: I think he sort of loves the like Twitter media angle of it. I think he would love to be like the next MacEre just spinning narratives but yeah i I think he's also gonna regret how he's squandering his talent anyway yeah. um
1: I think I, I think his his mental issues he probably has real mental issues, yeah um. Like, he's probably at least a little bit bipolar. He's probably, uh, it, I don't think it's, it's, it's all, it's honestly, it's almost a little sad um, because it's, he's totally, he's like aware of his talent and he's aware that he just hasn't been able to put it together for long stretches. Um, and that's almost a tougher spot to be in.
0: Yeah, also the way he behaves on court, it's like really hard to watch most of the time. Or some of the time. When it gets bad, it gets really bad. And it's almost inexplicably bad. Yeah. Anyway. um, So that about does it for us tonight. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening. And uh, if you have any... uh, if you en- if you enjoyed, uh go ahead and follow us on Twitter at um hash at Doubles Alley Pod and uh, give us a five star review. Um thanks again for listening.